welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. The king said, We will never find a better man than Joseph, a man who has God's Spirit in him. You have greater wisdom and insight than anyone else. I will put you in charge of my country. Genesis chapter 41, verses 37 through 40. Good News Translation. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm Victoria Kay in the studio, and today we're going to do something a little different on Anchored by Truth. Today we're going to interrupt the series that we began a couple of episodes ago to focus on a news story that has been particularly important in our home broadcasting community of Tallahassee, Florida. As just about everyone knows, Tallahassee is the home of Florida State University, which, down through the years, has had a notable football program. And in 2023, the football team had a particularly noteworthy year under head football coach Mike Norvell, who was in his fourth season with the team. The team won their first 13 games in a row, and was so highly ranked nationally that they fully expected to play in the Bowl Championship Series. Playing in that series would have given Coach Norvell and his players an excellent opportunity to become the national champions. But that's when the story changed. So, to talk about what came next and why we wanted to discuss this on Anchored by Truth, R.D. Fierro, the founder of Crystal Sea Books, is back in the studio. R.D. Talking about news events is not something we normally do on Anchored by Truth. So why this story, and why now? Well, you're absolutely right that this is a departure from what we normally talk about on Anchored by Truth. Anchored by Truth is the only radio show that we know of that focuses exclusively on demonstrating the inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility of Scripture. But the reason that is our focus is because we want people to know that the Bible is a reliable resource. It's actually the only absolutely sure resource to guide their faith, their lives, and their Christian practice. But the Christian faith is not a sterile faith. It's not a faith that's meant to be lived in a vacuum or disconnected from the real world and daily life. The Christian faith is a faith that recognizes and looks forward to eternity but it's lived out through a daily life that serves others while proclaiming God's eternal truth. And part of living out our daily lives is encountering and overcoming obstacles and challenges. And that's why I thought it was important for us to talk about what's been going on with the FSU football team in 2023. You know, there's been a lot of what we used to call ink spilled about what happened with the team But I thought that in all the clamor and discussion that was going on, some key thoughts weren't being given very much coverage, not the coverage that they deserve. In other words, you thought that too little attention was being focused on some important insights that come to us from our Christian faith about what happened with the team. I mentioned a second ago that after winning 13 games in a row, including their conference championship, 
FSU had a very reasonable expectation of being invited to play in the series that leads to the national championship. But that invitation never came, did it? No, it didn't. And that decision by the committee that issues the invitations to the BCS, the Bowl Championship Series, that decision's received a lot of comment and criticism. And it's received enough comment and criticism that I don't think we need to spend too much time on it today. Well, I know you don't want to spend too much time on the invitation committee's actions, but I do think a couple of things you wrote in response to a question from one of our friends is worthy of being repeated on this show. You wrote, quote, The committee has taught the FSU players that privileged people will abuse their privileges to obtain more privilege. The committee has taught the FSU players that people in positions of trust are capable of far greater and more sinister betrayals than ordinary mortals. So they should pledge to themselves that if they are ever in a position of trust, they will do better for others than was done for them. The committee has also taught the FSU players that success in life isn't just a matter of hard work and individual and team effort. Your goals can be thwarted by powerful people. But those people can't define your response to their thwarting. Only you can. Yes. I'm not naive. I'm well aware that the BCS Invitation Committee offered what they consider to be a reasonable rationale for why FSU should have been excluded from the final four teams, while two teams who had lost a game deserved inclusion. But unfortunately, when I heard about that, the only thing that came to my mind was 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. In the New International Version, that verse says, quote, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs, unquote. Yes. Only the invitation committee themselves know why they made the decision they did, and their decision is between them and God, and God knows the truth of the matter no matter what public statements they made. And in the midst of all this public comment and clamor, what I wanted to do today was to redirect our attention to God, who is the only one who is sovereign over all the affairs of humanity and history. Well, just to complete the background, for those people who may not have paid a lot of attention to the story, after FSU did not get an invitation to the BCS, a number of FSU players elected not to participate in the Orange Bowl, the bowl game to which FSU was invited. Actually, more than two dozen players, many of whom were starters, opted out. They either decided to turn professional or enter what is now called the transfer portal. Without a lot of key players available, FSU then proceeded to lose in the Orange Bowl by a pretty lopsided margin. Right. So, of course, that big loss caused another round of consternation and criticism. And some of that criticism was directed at the players who elected not to play in the Orange Bowl. Some of the criticism was directed at the system that makes it more attractive for some players to not play than to play in a particular game. And, of course, some criticism was directed at the coaches. Now, I understand the reason that that criticism would occur, and I'm not going to comment on any of that, because I would rather point out the people that I consider to be the heroes in this whole situation. And I think that that is surprising, that you can find any heroes in a situation that seemed to go steadily downhill ever since FSU secured its 13th win in a row. And that's why I felt called, compelled, to do this special episode of Anchored by Truth, which I'm calling Temporary Defeat, 
permanent victory. Temporary defeat and permanent victory is not a mindset that most of the world embraces. What are you thinking about? Well, in God's providence, there are going to be a lot of times in life when He permits His children, His people, to suffer defeat because He is going to use that temporary defeat to prepare that person for a permanent victory. And of course, one of the classic examples of that phenomena is in the Bible, in the story of Joseph, which is told in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. That's 14 chapters in the Bible. That is a large number of chapters in which one person is the primary focus. Right. Everyone knows the story of Joseph. Joseph had two dreams when he was a teenager, and in his dreams he saw his brothers and his parents bowing down to him. Well, that was pretty odd because Joseph was the 11th son in line out of 12 sons. Now, his brothers were so irritated by his dream that they sold Joseph into slavery. But more than a decade later, the dream came true when the older brothers had to go down to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, who had become the second most powerful person in Egypt. And we heard about Pharaoh promoting Joseph in our opening scripture. Joseph endured slavery, captivity, false accusations, and being forgotten for over a decade before God finally sent him to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. That interpretation calls Pharaoh to promote Joseph to being the number two person in Egypt. So, when Joseph's brothers had to go to Egypt to buy grain because there was a famine in Palestine, they did indeed literally bow down to Joseph. They had sold Joseph into slavery, but that temporary setback for Joseph did not prevent God from using Joseph in a powerful way. The temporary defeat did not limit God's ability to provide permanent victory. Exactly. And we see that same situation in the book of Esther. Esther is a Jew, but through the advice that she receives from her uncle Mordecai, she becomes the wife of a Persian emperor. While Esther's the queen, even though she's a Jew, one of the king's wicked advisors, a wicked man named Haman, entices the Persian emperor to issue an order that all the Jews in the empire are to be killed. Well, Mordecai tells Esther in that most famous of all lines from the book of Esther that God raised her up for, quote, such a time as this. So, at the risk of her life, Esther intervenes for her people, and Haman's plan is defeated, and Haman himself is executed. And this episode in the national history of the Jewish people is still celebrated as a holiday called Purim by the Jewish people. So, again, we see that God transformed a temporary defeat into a permanent victory. Haman hated Mordecai and therefore hated the Jews. Haman thought he had won when he enticed the king to issue an ill-advised edict to murder all the Jews in the kingdom. But God is sovereign, not man. And another example of temporary defeat but permanent victory that we see in Scripture is in the life of the prophet Elijah. And interestingly enough, the defeat that we hear about for Elijah came after the tremendous victory that God gave Elijah when he faced down 850 false prophets on the top of Mount Carmel. A lot of people may not realize it, but after that great victory, Elijah became so discouraged and disillusioned that he actually asked God to kill him. Here are a few verses from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1-4 through 4, in the Amplified Version. Quote, now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, quote, 
So may the gods do to me, and even more, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like the life of one of them. Unquote. And Elijah was afraid and rose and ran for his life. Elijah said, It is not enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Unquote. Wow, that's amazing. Elijah had just seen God defeat 850 false prophets, but now he's so afraid of one woman that he flees into the desert and asks God to take his life. And really all that says is that even the best among us will have our moments of discouragement and doubt. And sometimes our greatest defeat may follow a great victory. But God does not abandon us because of our defeats, our doubts, or our disillusionment. God had other work for Elijah to do, and God strengthened Elijah so he could do it. And then God started the very next phase of Elijah's work by reminding Elijah that even though Elijah felt like he was alone, in fact, he was not. In verse 18 of that chapter, God told Elijah that, quote, There were 7,000 survivors in Israel, all of the knees that have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him, close quote. And God followed Elijah's disillusionment with the greatest victory possible for him. God took Elijah to heaven without Elijah having to pass through physical death. Now, Elijah had a profound temporary defeat, but he had an unsurpassed permanent victory. So we see that there is a clear pattern in the Bible, that for the men and women of the Bible who have faith, defeat is not permanent. Temporary defeats are often followed by victories. And you can see another example of this pattern of temporary defeat but permanent victory in the life of ancient Israel's greatest king, King David. Now David, when he was a young man, had served faithfully in the household of the king at that time, the king who preceded him, who was named Saul. But Saul became jealous of David's rising fame. So Saul chased David into the wilderness and tried to kill him on multiple occasions. Now, naturally, all that wickedness on Saul's part was silly and fruitless. God had already told them both that David was going to become the king after Saul, and he did. The misery that David experienced while Saul was chasing him in the wilderness was set aside because David became the king of Israel anyway. But you know, even after David became the king, he experienced another temporary defeat when his son Absalom led a revolt against him. Now initially, Absalom's revolt succeeded, and David was driven out of Jerusalem. But David was God's king. And so God restored David to his throne in Jerusalem. And during the battle that resulted in David's victory, Absalom died, and his revolt, of course, died with him. And of course, the greatest example in the Bible, the greatest example possible of a temporary defeat that led to permanent victory, was Jesus' death on the cross. The forces of wickedness, both human and demonic, had seen clear evidence that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Jesus had fulfilled dozens of prophecies that showed that Jesus was God's anointed Savior. Yet their hatred of God and Jesus was so great that they induced Pontius Pilate to execute Jesus. They probably thought that Jesus' death on the cross had solved their problems and defeated God's plan. But, as you just said, that was silly and fruitless. Jesus gave the ultimate proof that he was the prophesied Messiah when he walked out of the tomb and defeated death itself. Aren't we all grateful that God grants victory to those who trust him, no matter what the world may be claiming at any particular moment? Exactly. 
And that brings us back to FSU's loss in the Orange Bowl. It was clearly a temporary defeat, but we have yet to see whether that temporary defeat will yield to a permanent victory. And I believe that it will. I believe strongly that it will for two groups, or rather one group and one special individual. Now here's just a personal observation. The year I was a senior at West Point, we call them firsties at West Point, the year I was a senior at West Point, our football team did not win a single game. Now, needless to say, that was a hard year for the Corps of Cadets, and it was an even harder year for the team, especially my classmates who were the seniors. Yet a large number of my classmates went on to very notable successes, and not just in the military, not just in the Army, but also in law, medicine, diplomacy, industry, and a host of other professions. And one of my classmates who was on that football team credited much of his success later in life to that crucible, that horrible no-win season. Because even though the team didn't win any games that year, the thing that my classmate noted was they never gave up. They fought hard in every game. Now, the outcome of the games surely wasn't what they wanted, and it sure wasn't what the Corps wanted, but the fire of that season's trial refined the team's characters, our characters, and our victories in life were won later. So, I know one group that you think has emerged from this whole saga that deserves some praise is the group of players who went down to Miami and represented Florida State in the Orange Bowl. You think the fact that they were willing to suit up, show up, and play their best speaks very well of them, don't you? I do. Most people, and certainly every athlete, knows that it's easy to show up when everything is going your way. It's easy to go out on a field, step on a racetrack, or enter the arena when you're pretty sure you're going to win. But it's a whole different matter when you know the odds are against you. Going out and doing your best when the odds are stacked against you, that takes discipline. That takes strength of character. That takes plain old-fashioned guts. You know, there's a lot of truth in the old saying that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And in our success-obsessed culture, we forget that. And we see that even in this situation, there were some critics who thought that FSU shouldn't even go to the Orange Bowl because they had lost so many key players, whereas their opponents had not. Right. The FSU players who did play in the Orange Bowl had already proved that they were men of strength and character just by being willing to put the time and effort into the practice and then step onto the field. And as I've said, I'm not going to comment on the players who didn't go. That decision was between them, their families, and God. But I am going to commend and thank the players who did go and play in the Orange Bowl. Their courage and their character, their strength, their excellence as men and people, that's not diminished at all by the results of that game. That's a hard lesson. We all like to win, especially in high-profile games. And we are certainly not saying that the outcome of games or other events isn't important. Outcomes are important. But there are going to be situations in life where we need to step up and perform, regardless of whether we think we may emerge from that situation as the winner. Outcomes matter, but they are not all that matters, especially for Christians. Ultimately, Christians play and work for an audience of one. And our lives will have been worthwhile if we were ever to hear, quote, Well done, my good and faithful servant, unquote, from Jesus. There's one more thing I think we should point out about the FSU players who went to the Orange Bowl. 
Every athlete knows that your performance in a game is going to be improved by reps, by repetitions, repetitions in practice and repetitions in game. We simply do not know how those players might have performed if they had had the opportunity to play as much and have as many reps earlier in the season as some other players did, as the players of the opponent's team did. You know, people have hurled a lot of what I think is unfair criticism when we really don't know what might have happened in that game if our players had been able to develop their skills more fully by having more time and more reps earlier in the season. And I know that special person that you want to commend is FSU's head coach, Mike Norvell. You think that anyone who hasn't done so should listen to the speech he made in the locker room after the game and his opening comments during the post-game press conference. They are a tremendous example of what servant leadership looks like. Yes. You know, many people forget that Jesus was a leader. In fact, Jesus was the greatest leader of all time. And Jesus gave us the single greatest leadership maxim of all time. The greatest among you is the servant to all. Well, in his talk with his players and again with the press, Coach Norvell gave us an example of what Christ-like leadership looks like. And before anybody goes off the rails and saying that you are comparing FSU's head coach, Mike Norvell, to Jesus, that's not what we're doing. We are simply saying that Christ gave us an example of how we should conduct our daily lives. We are simply observing that Coach Norvell is doing a good job of following that example. Yes. Here are two easy-to-understand examples of how Jesus led. When they came to arrest Jesus, he told his soldiers to let his followers go, and the soldiers did. Leaders place themselves between danger and their followers. And then after the resurrection, even though the disciples had openly failed Christ, Christ did not dwell on their failures. Christ just told his disciples how to do better. He strengthened their weak faith, and he provided encouragement. Well, that's what Coach Norvell did. He took all the responsibility for the loss in the Orange Bowl onto his own soldiers. And he tried to protect his men, his players, his kids, by going out of his way to ease their pain. He made no excuses. He had no evasion. He had no equivocation. Coach Norvell stood in the breach. He blamed himself. He told his players how proud he was of them. And he reminded them of the remarkable season that they had had. Coach Norvell's treatment of his players was a stark contrast with the behavior of some other coaches who experienced bowl losses. But we are naming no names. That's not our purpose today. No. Our purpose is to redirect everyone's attention to the commendable attributes of this overall sad spectacle, this overall sad saga. As far as I'm concerned, Coach Norvell's actions after the loss in the Orange Bowl only enhanced his excellence as a football coach. Coach Norvell's actions were the epitome of grace under pressure. And unfortunately, that's not something that can be said about very many people in our day and age, that they exhibit grace under pressure. But Coach Norvell did. Coach Norvell's grace under pressure, his extreme grace under pressure, Well, that just makes his actions and behavior all the more commendable, in my opinion. And for the players who endured the loss, I just want to say that, well, trial by fire is one of the surest ways that God refines our characters for our good and His glory. And we learn that by studying the Bible, even God's greatest heroes have their own temporary defeats. 
I strongly believe that victories are going to come for each one of those young men who stepped on the field that day and for the coach. You know, when you're committed to Christ, Christ will not let you stand in the fire alone. And when you come out of the fire, not only will you benefit from it, but you'll be in a far better position to bless others and glorify God. And that is our only purpose at Anchored by Truth. To say that someone exhibited grace under pressure is one of the highest compliments that can be given. But it is certainly well-deserved by Coach Norvell. And the players who went to Miami also deserve to be congratulated for their determination, loyalty, perseverance, and grit. Well, as we used to say in the old days, enough said. Today, for our closing prayer, let's listen to the prayer of adoration for Jesus. He is not only the one who secured our salvation by his unfathomable sacrifice, but he modeled how we are to behave throughout our lives. People like Coach Norvell show us that Christ did not die in vain. The effects of Jesus' leadership continue to shine brightly through his children today. A Prayer of Adoration of the Son of God Blessed and holy God, we give you glory, honor, and praise for your goodness and grace. You are majestic in all your ways, and we come before you to honor you as the rightful sovereign and Lord of our lives. Lord, we praise you for the gift of your Holy Son. By dying and rising, Jesus covered our sinfulness with his perfect righteousness and demonstrated to Satan and the demons that no plan cast against your might and power can ever succeed. Satan's ruin is the full manifestation of Jesus' dominion and that he is worthy to sit eternally at the right hand of the Father. Though the blighted eyes of sinful man cannot now behold the glory of the Father and Son, with authority and power you pull us to yourself and give us vision that no words can fully describe. Christ Jesus is God from God and light from light. He is worthy of worship, honor, and praise, and he stands astride the mighty rivers of creation, ordaining their course and sending them where he will. There is no body and nothing that can resist his will. He oversees the billows and swells of not just the earthly oceans, but also the greater motions of the heavenly places. He superintends all creation continuously, yet never grows tired or weary. His strength cannot be exhausted and he will never grow old. He will be Lord and master of all that exists eternally, and his care and provision for us can never be shaken. What love is ours from the Father and Son? We kneel in praise, prayer, and gratitude for Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect!
but our bosses. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalcbooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. Thank you for your support. Are you hungry for truth? Most people are today. Between changing social standards, cultural chaos, and denominational deviance, confusion is sweeping over our community like a tsunami. Will we be swept away? Or will we be anchored by truth? At Crystal Sea Books, we believe the Bible can be a dynamic part of adventure stories, lyrical rhythms, and even humor, as well as inspire our prayers and meditations. That's why Crystal Sea Books is so pleased to offer an all-ages adventure story. Doors of Destiny, a choice orb tale. Many readers have compared the adventure and engagement of Doors of Destiny to the timeless treasures of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And getting a copy of Doors of Destiny couldn't be easier. Just go to crystalcbooks.com and use the link. That's crystalcbooks.com. In Doors of Destiny, the Bible's timeless wisdom is captured in an amazing adventure story that is suitable for all ages. Build your faith as you travel highways and byways that extend beyond the veil of eternity. Get your own copy of Doors of Destiny today.